Comms Day Live. I'm Graham Lynch, the founder and CEO of Comms Day. Welcome to this week's episode. Yeah, this week we'll be taking a look at what Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin, the CEO of Optus, had to say about digital inclusion and the role that OTTs ought to play in network investment. And also we'll be talking to Chief Editor Simon Ducks about a new fibre network for the Gold Coast. But first, we're going to take a look at Telstra, who had an enormous suite of announcements this week around both their enterprise and residential networks. But first up, uh, their new enterprise proposition, which they branded Adaptive Networks. There's a whole lot of new announcements here. And I had a chat with Telstra's connectivity and global platforms executive, Sanjay Nayak, to bring us up to speed with them. Yeah, so um, for me, it's it's three main areas here, Graham. We're making connectivity really simple for our customers, right? We're making it extremely flexible for them to run different types of networks on an access service. We're um, commercially enabling the ability for customers to sign up for services with no lock-in contracts, right? And we're backing that with all of our adaptive SD-WAN services as well as the investments in the core to really bring bring to get bring to bear the next generation of hybrid networking for our customers okay now how do you see this as differentiating yourself from the competition what what are, what are the key aspects that you see as unique selling points yeah so for me um you know i have the privilege of talking to a lot of customers graham and when i think about the journey our customers go through it's you know there's a lot of choice out there there's a lot of uh, different types of technology innovations out there. And it's a real uh, opportunity for us to really add value in, the, in, in, in our customer environments by really taking away some of the more redundant topics of conversation. For me, contracts is a term on a contract is a redundant conversation. It's not actually adding value on how does Telstra help our customers on that digital transformation journey, right? And so it's, a, it's about how do we really um, help our customers adapt applications that are moved to the cloud? How do we bring to bear our purple professional services? How do we bring to bear a partner ecosystem, you know, and really help our customers on the transformation journey? Why is it differentiated? I think our underlying investments automatically differentiate us, you know, to a certain degree because, you know, um, our customers tell us that our performance, you know, once a service is installed is, you know, they're trusted, Right. Um, but where we don't spend enough time is how do we evolve that and how do we take it forward from there. So it's really about uh, the differentiation comes from the fact that there's a lot of choice, but there's a lot of flexibility with that. And um, there is a lot of investment that backs it all up to bring a holistic proposition to our customers. Yeah. And I wanted to talk a bit more about that investment because you've almost become access technology agnostic. You know, you've got Telstra, Fiber, MEN Fiber, 4G, 5G, and you're basically promising a seamless interface across these four uh, access mediums. Yeah. So we've always had a combination of Telstra Fiber and NBN access services, right? So we've already, even prior to adaptive networks, we had that. But it's just the way we have delivered those services in the past have been extremely inflexible, very hard bundled. So if you think about, you know, a customer environment, you know, let's assume that they started off with uh, an IPVPN service. And what we by bundling those two things together, you actually hard code the overall construct, which makes it really not that dynamic to pivot and adapt. And so on the back end, what we needed to do was make sure that we unbundled everything. 
right? We made it more modular. This is where a lot of our investments have been over the past few years. So when you create modular product constructs, you then are able to mix and match those different access technologies with the connectivity technologies so that you can move workloads to suit the different business requirements, right? So there's been a lot of investment on our network stacks, on our IT stacks, you know, in the way we design our architectures, in the way we, you know, uh, manage our capacity to traffic loads, the way we think about, um, you know, um, latency detection before you actually have degradation of services. And it's it's a commercial construct that helps bring all of that to bear because really, like I said, the value in the conversation is is all about the applications and how do we actually help our customers transform. Okay. Now, where does um, price fish into all this? Um of course, there are there are providers out there who are price leaders. You know, they they, they pr- promise you the cheapest um, uh, costs, but of course, they try and lock you into quite inflexible contracts as well at the same time. Yeah. So, so how how does Telstra see see itself fitting on the price spectrum here? Yeah. So, so we we are a premium service provider, and we will continue to be a premium service provider. But what we have done with adaptive networks is really taken a hard look at you know, what is the value that we're adding to our customers and, you know, how do we make sure that our customers get the best out of us? So, you know, uh, for us, this is not a shift towards saying we're going to be the cheapest provider out there like some of our competitors, but it's about saying that, you know, our customers should be able to see the value premium and the justification around it that we offer. But there's definitely a reset in terms of our overall pricing um, constructs as part of this. And um, I, I think the overall, the total cost of ownership as customers would measure it, I think would be a lot more attractive for them. You know, when you combine the fact that the pricing's been reset, the discount structures have been reset, no lock-in contracts, right? And then there's no termination fee. You know, it, it just starts to, you know, shift the conversation to how much time am I spending on contracts and how much time should I be spending on the actual outcomes? Okay. Can you give me um, an idea of the scale of the customer universe that this is addressing in terms of size? I mean, obviously, the largest multinationals, large government departments and so on, but how, how, how um, down the chain uh, does this apply to? There's no restriction. There's absolutely no restriction. So we, we took that as a core principle that the foundations of adaptive networks really should suit our very large government enterprise customers but we should be able to serve our SMB and mid-market customers through our BCS customer segment as well, right? And arguably, if you think about it, the BCS segment is probably where we have the most opportunity to grow. Um, And so we wanted to make sure that that we weren't putting any artificial restrictions that were limiting us from from that. So if you think about the way the product construct is built, it's, it's really simple. There are access as an option, select your access, it's a menu. Select your um, technology on top. Now, customers can choose to say, I want, you know, for example, a fiber service with IPVPN and I want a fiber service with internet and I want SD-WAN to kind of interconnect the two. That's okay. But what customers can also say is that I want a Telstra fiber service and that fiber service is relatively reliable in Australia. You know, it's not one of the other developed markets. So I actually want to run both internet and IPVPN on that same fiber service, right? And then I want to be able to flex because that's where the, the time to adapt really comes in because every time you're trying to order a new access, there's a long lead time, right? So we're saying, okay, you, you order the access once, you dimension it. After that, it's all about flexing the bandwidth up and down as opposed to trying to get new access types installed. Okay, I have, I have two quick final questions. Firstly, um, 
well, this whole new range of, of products, and I guess almost a philosophy towards your products is, is how it's best expressed, will this be available through your wholesale channels? So today what we're announcing is primarily our enterprise um, segments. And so this is this is more aimed at that enterprise segment. Uh, from a wholesale perspective, again, you know, I, I sit at more a Telstra approach rather than an enterprise approach. So wholesale is part of uh, you know everything that we do as well. Now wholesale obviously provides more the access today, and they provide you know in certain segments internet services. This unbundling product construct has not come to a wholesale yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if we do in the future. Okay, and my final question is around um, the pandemic and COVID nineteen. Um, how do you see that as impacting the enterprise market going forward? Is it a negative or a positive? Look, it, I think it's um, it's positive overall, right? It's positive because we think that it's going to accelerate the need for customers to transition to the next generation of hybrid networking. It's going to uh, it's going to drive digital transformation even faster than it has even through COVID, right? And I, so I think from a from a customer lens, you know, I think it's a really the, the, what we're bringing with adaptive networks is really designed to help customers deal with the next COVID-19 or any other global event that might actually impact their business. Now, Telstra also had some big announcements in the residential broadband space this week. And here to talk about it with us is Comstay Executive Editor Rowan Pearce. Welcome, Rowan. Hi, Graham. Well, first of all, um, 5G fixed wireless was the big announcement this week from Telstra. Can you tell us uh, about what they had to say on that? Yeah, I guess I, I guess since um, Optus launched fixed wireless, a lot of people have been waiting for um, the Telstra play. It was obviously foreshadowed by um, John Mullen and then more recently by Andy Penn at the Telco's full year results. So the kind of the, the basic gist of it is they're offering it at a price point which is um, a little bit more expensive than the kind of uh, uh, entry-level plan, but um, uh, a little bit cheaper than the kind of 50 megabit NVN plan. And I guess they're, they're saying that you can expect typical speeds of 50 to 300 megabits. Um, it's invitation only at the moment. It's not quite clear how quickly Telstra plans to ramp up the numbers on the network. Obviously, I think they want to take a probably measured approach as they get people on the network. And I think uh, one interesting thing that's worth noting too was that um, at the full year results, um, Andy Penn said in particular they would be looking at it as uh, targeting customers in the kind of FTTN and NBN fixed wireless footprints. Okay, now at the same time, uh, Telstra also uh, said it would be offering NBN superfast and ultrafast plans for the first time. Now, for those who are not familiar with the definitions, uh, basically that means a, a 250 meg service through to about a gigabit service. Um, why is this an important announcement, Rowan? Yeah, I should. As I was complaining to you about earlier, <laughs> um, it, it does get a bit confusing because Telstra is describing uh, Superfast as their, their 250 megabit service. Um, but obviously, if you spend a lot of time reading ACCC regulatory documents, Superfast is defined as 25 megabits plus. So it does get a little confusing there. But I, I think it's obviously quite significant. Like Telstra is still by far the biggest um, NBN retailer. All the figures coming out of the ACCC confirm that. So that means these tiers are going to be opened up to actually a, a significantly um, 
a significant user base, really. Um, and it would be interesting to, I guess, get some of the kind of internal modeling behind this. For example, is Telstra worried that it, it could um, bleed some customers to the smaller RSPs that have been aggressively marketing these speed tiers? Okay, now, finally, there was an announcement from Telstra which didn't get a lot of publicity, and that was that they were returning to selling 100 meg service over the fibre to the node, fibre to the curb, and fibre to the basement networks. Now, why is that significant, Rowan? Yeah, well, I, I guess, like, when Telstra announced that they were going to stop selling 100 megabit services outside the FTTP footprint, it was quite a blow for NBN, because as I noted before, they're, they're still the, the biggest NBN um, RSP. So I think from NBN Co's perspective, obviously, that was good news. And uh, I think to an extent, like, the, I mean, you know, we... We're not privy to Telstra's internal thinking, but it could reflect, I guess, the COVID effect, which is that more people are, um, more people are staying at home, both for entertainment and for actually working from home. So I guess there is that kind of demand for higher speed services. And obviously, NBN itself has been pushing, pushing more, um, more uptake at 100 megabit uh, speed tier in particular. Thanks for joining us today, Rowan. Cheers. Well, Optus CEO Kelly Bayer-Osmarin gave a set-piece speech to the Trans-Tasman Business Circle this week. She covered a wide range of topics, but probably her main theme was about the need for digital inclusion, particularly in these pandemic times. Let's hear about what she had to say on that topic. As we transition to a more digitally enabled economy, it becomes critical that no one is left behind. A digitally inclusive society is the responsibility of all of us. Increased digitalization carries with it the risk of inflaming existing issues, and each of us will need all the collective creativity available in order to find solutions to the challenges ahead. Challenges like cybercrime, social isolation, privacy and environmental concerns. In the same way that organizations have a responsibility to decrease our carbon footprint, we must be equally vigilant in increasing our nation's digital footprint. Every decision, every policy must ensure that all Australians, especially our next generation of leaders, are digitally empowered. And we must use data to inform those decisions and policies. We have our social license to accelerate into our digital future. Let's make sure we do this the right way. If we do, we can achieve so much together. Now, of course, nothing comes for free in life. And Kelly also went on to talk about the need for a new look at the economics behind broadband. And particularly uh, what she sees um, as the need to bring the -the over-the-top players, uh, companies such as Netflix and Google and so on, into the conversation about how broadband networks are paid for. So I, I think it is time for the MBN to have a look at whether the current model could be improved and um, whether we have something that will suit us better in the future. I think COVID-19 and the rapid um, increase in data consumption has shown up some of the challenges with the current model, like the CBC charging, where all of us provide customers with a fixed price access to their internet 
but then the MBN charges us on a variable basis. Clearly, that creates a mismatch that was brought to the surface through COVID. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for us as an industry to consult with one another and design an even better system moving forward. So I see it as an opportunity for price reform to get us into a more sustainable place as an industry and possibly even considering other players in the chain who are large drivers of data consumption. It does not have to be just the um, RSPs and NBN involved in this. There's plenty of others who drive data consumption who could also contribute, say, for example, if they were to stream at higher bit rates. Uh, they might want to contribute to the infrastructure that needs to be build, built to accommodate that. So plenty of opportunities. And that's just one crazy innovative idea. But lots of, of, of um, opportunity for us as an industry to work together, identify different options and go forward on a better basis. It's interesting um, that uh, Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin, the CEO of Optus, is clearly initiating a campaign here on the role of OTTs in telco. Um, and I guess the interesting thing is that she's not the only one. And here to talk with me about that is the chief editor of Comms Day, Simon Ducks. Hi there, Graham. Yeah, so the interesting thing when I was uh, having a chat with Kelly about this, uh, we know that they are looking at MBM uh, pricing overall and what could potentially happen there. But this thing about the fact that there are certain people using the infrastructure that are uh, benefiting from the infrastructure and not actually paying for any of the investment. And interestingly, Kelly did mention to me at the time around uh, she was aware of the moves in South Korea for... Uh, infrastructure providers are looking at some way of uh, formulating how the OTT players could actually pay. Now, uh, I've been speaking to a couple of other people in the marketplace as well, uh, and data infrastructure p uh, company Vertiv also told me that in discussions they've been having with their particular telco customers, that a lot of them are hesitating to invest in edge networking at the moment because, of course, they're really worried about the return on investment. If you can imagine building your uh, network out into uh, regional Australia and New Zealand and then finding out that the majority of the network is being uh, consumed by OTT players, you're not getting a particular return. So Vertiv, uh, for their point, actually suggested that a partnership model is what we'll probably see, which we're starting to see with hyperscalers and telcos working together, but nothing on the OTT side. So that's going to be a debate we're going to have to watch closely. Okay, so changing tack, um, you had an exclusive story in Comms Day uh, this week regarding a fibre rollout at the Gold Coast uh, City Council. Can you tell us a bit more about that one? That's right. This one uh, took a while to land uh, because uh, the Gold Coast uh, were going through their budget process, uh, uh, which uh, slowed uh, things down a little bit. But I had a good chat with uh, the guy in charge, Ian Hatton, to find out uh, what exactly was happening. And of course, uh, they built out a uh, pretty dense 864-core carrier-grade fibre-optic network, um, a sort of a vestige of the Commonwealth Games. And because of that, they had the foresight at the time to actually use this network as a wholesale network and build it in that way. And now they've just decided to make it go commercial. So they're building a commercial enterprise 
and they're going to be offering dark and lit fiber services and white label services. And they've already got a couple of RSPs signed up. Uh, Gigafy is going to be doing fiber to the building with them. And uh, they've been doing some fiber swaps with uh, Nexium uh, as well, which is now uh, obviously rebranded as Eureka. Thanks for the update, Simon. Cheers, Graham. Finally today, um, pleased to uh, talk about the return of the Comms Day Summit, which is back in business after a six-month hiatus. You may recall, for those of us who um, participate in these summits and read Comms Day regularly, that we were going to hold a physical summit back in April in uh, Sydney at the Fullerton Hotel, but regrettably we had to cancel that because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And in about three weeks, we made the whole thing virtual. We put it totally online and it was a great success but i think after six months uh it's it's time to venture forth back into the physical realm again and on october 26 and 27 we will be holding uh the delayed 2020 edition of the commerce day summit at the fullerton hotel in sydney now here to talk with me about it is veronica kennedy good who's the principal of our organizers mindshare communications welcome veronica Thanks, Graham. Good to be here. Now, can you please tell us what we're doing to make the hotel absolutely COVID compliant for our delegates? Absolutely. Um, the Fullerton Hotel have a incredibly um, stringent uh, policies and protocols in place. Um, they will be replacing. There will be no buffet service, unfortunately, um, but. Um, Every delegate will have their morning and afternoon tea served directly to the table as well as the lunch. And um, they are going to obviously make sure that, uh, you know, all surfaces are cleaned um, uh, regularly, um, 30 30 minutes, um, and um, that uh, high-touch surfaces, including tables, chairs, are sanitised with hospital-grade and disinfectant after every use, um, they also have um, sanitizers um, placed all around the um, function areas so that people can feel that they can do that um, and um, really just, you know, making sure that their staff wear masks and um, everything is, is super clean. Okay. Now, um, what's the feedback from uh, the sponsors and speakers um, about the return to a physical edition of Comms Day Summit? Many of them are really, really positive and um, quite excited to get back to to actually a physical event and um, networking, albeit with no handshaking and um, keeping a little bit of our physical distance. But um, no, I think that everyone is, is is really excited that we're able to put this on and um, and that we are you know, putting in place the the protocols to make sure that it is a safe event as well. Um, uh, also, I wanted to mention that the hotel does have thermal imaging. So when you enter the lobby, um, your temperature is actually taken, but it's not, you, you don't not, you're not aware of that, but they have people actually monitoring to make sure that if anyone does have a, a temperature which uh, gives them an alert, they, they will be um, asking that person further questions and and um, asking them to to seek um, 
medical assistance. So really, uh, I think, you know, the whole whole thing should uh, really be people should feel that they're very safe, um, but um, also getting back to, to actually some physical um, networking. Now, part, one of the um, regular events that coincides with the Comms Day Summit are the annual Edison Awards and the Comms Day uh, Hall of Fame. Um, mm. So how is that going ahead this year? Yes, well, um, unfortunately, you know, we're, we're not able to, to have those tables of 10 like we have in the past and, and the dinner, but um, we've, um, we've pivoted this to a, a lunchtime event. Um, I think it's really important that we, um, uh, you know, uh, acknowledge um, all the work of the of all the um, finalists and reward them with with the um, awards this year. So we will be doing that during the lunch times. Um, so we'll have the um, ten or so awards that uh, are in the different categories will be on day one and then the Hall of Fame will be on day two. Um, and we'll have our MC, um, uh, Steve, uh, will be giving out those awards and we we have uh, things in place so that we make it safe and, and people um, can still um, collect their award but um, feel that it's done in a COVID-safe way. Okay, now, um, of course, um, a lot of the state borders are still locked down and, and people are uh, generally mm. reluctant to travel interstate, particularly where they might have to do quarantine and so yes. on. So um, we're also offering a streaming option for, for people to be able to watch this event online. Yes, we're working with um, with Encore um, at the Fullerton and um, they um, they have a, a great package um, uh, that will be streaming online. Um, so uh, we'll be going out with more information about that to all of the delegates. Um, we've been asking people, are you coming in person or are you coming in virtual? So basically we understand who will be there for, for any contact tracing um, requirements and um, and then for streaming, we'll be going out and giving people um, all the login details. So they'll be able to, to do that on their, you know, their, their mobile, their tablet, their, their desktop. And even if people are coming in person for, say, one day and they want to do it virtually for the second day, then, then obviously they're able to do that. Um, the, the app has all the bios of all the speakers online, the agenda. Um, uh, so it, it's, um, it's really fantastic, and I, I think everyone will really enjoy it. Okay, and I guess the key message is that for people who were fully registered delegates back in April can, can apply those pay-for tickets to October – um, the, the the one the one ticket bought them access mm-hmm. to the virtual event in April, and the physical event uh, coming up in October. So that's the key message, isn't it? That, that yes, this that's is, right. This is part two of uh, of the twenty twenty Comms Day Summit. Absolutely, um, and I think everyone has really appreciated that. I've had a lot of really positive feedback. Um, that we are delivering tremendous value in terms of um, the two events that we've. We've run throughout this um, difficult period of time, uh, and I think everyone has appreciated that we've kept it going and um, kept the dialogue up in terms of um, everyone in the industry staying connected. Okay, and I guess, I, I guess the, the final wrap-up message is 
Um, for people who uh, are interested in attending or have already booked, keep an eye out on the daily Comms Day newsletter or come to the website at commsday.com and you can get up-to-date details on everything that's happening and, and that will be regularly updated in the weeks ahead of the event. Thank you for joining us today, Veronica. No problem, Graham. I'm looking forward to the 26th and 27th of October. Take care. See you there. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Before we finish this week, I just wanted to note the retirement in January coming up of uh, Chua Sok Kong, uh, who's the CEO of Singtel, the owner of Optus. She was the CEO for 13 years and uh, spent 31 years in total with the company. An amazing achievement. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to have a chat with her before she moves on from the company. On that note, we finished for the week. See you next week. Once was a guy who believed he was God, and he got everyone to believe. Got everybody to go to his party where no one could dance and decree. He feared the tool, he tilled the earth without what he sprinkled the seeds with. He feared that you would learn.